Well, good morning. Can you guys hear me today? Okay, good. Well, I'm doing double duty today. I'm sound man and pastor today. So am I loud enough? Can you guys hear me well enough? Okay, good. Well, I'm going to set that there. And uh, I'm going to read to you from the scriptures today. A sower went out to sow a seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, good morning. It is good to be with everybody this morning here today in God's creation and also with my friends that are online at home. You know, if we've not met before, my name is Ken and uh, I'm simply a sower of God's word. You may have heard that text before. I've been on it for the last three weeks and, um, you know, I was thinking what an awesome responsibility it is to hear God's word. You know, um, Jesus puts the bulk of the responsibility on the hearer in this passage, not the sower. You know, I've spent at least 20 hours this week, probably a lot more, preparing to sow this passage in your ears. How much time have you spent preparing yourself to hear it? (laughs) Jesus did say, he who has ears, let them hear, didn't he? We know Jesus' explanation, this parable, that the seed is what? What is the seed? Well, come on, I preached this. This is the third week. What's the seed? God's word, right? (laughs) Let them hear, right? (laughs) And Jesus tells his disciples that in this parable are the secrets to the kingdom of God. And the parable is relatively easy to understand. If you combine good seed with good soil, it will return good fruit. There's even a good guarantee of a good return of investment of a hundred times what was sown. So my question is, are we all expecting fruit from what we're doing this morning? Jesus does, doesn't he? Because he knows that the seed is good. But he's also honestly pointing out the problem to us, isn't he? If we're not expecting fruit, it is because our own hearts are hard. We've heard it all before. Oh, come on. Well, we went to Sunday school. We've heard the story. We went to CCD as a kid. We all know the stories. It's all just religious stuff, an obligation. And if we think like that, our hearts are going to become hard where nothing new is ever going to get into them. The truth will just bounce right off of us. And the devil will immediately eat it up before we can gain any benefit from it. That's what he's saying. 
Or maybe we're not expecting fruit because we have faced some disappointment in our lives. And we used to be excited about what God had to say, but now our problems seem bigger in our eyes than God does. Because of our doubts and because of our fears. And now we're only here because it's our habit. Or because our mama would get mad if we didn't come. But our faith is really withered. And we're not really planning to change anything in our lives based on what the sower has to say today. Maybe this morning our hearts are full of distractions. We're just thinking about the 10 things we need to get done today to take it off our list. Maybe just we're hoping the pastor won't talk too long so we can get that obligation over with and move on with our day. You know, time is money, they say. And that's really what's most important to our hearts. The God of mammon, that's what we want to hear. Him talk. Maybe it's a distraction that we have that we're thinking about some pleasure, some pleasurable activity that's happening later today, and we're impatient to get things to move along a little quicker, and that chokes the life out of anything that God has to say to us today because of our impatience. Nothing grows of any lasting fruit from what God has to say. But Jesus says the goal of this parable is fruit. He's expecting fruit from his people. So what's fruit? What is fruit? Theologians debate about what fruit is. Some will say fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And some others will say fruit is God's kingdom when new disciples are added and multiplied. And you know what? I would say it's both. Ultimately, Jesus expects to see good results when good seed is sown into our hearts. You know, in the book of Genesis, God created every seed and plant of every plant and animal according to its kind. And he made it so that it would be fruitful and that it would multiply. And God's seed is to be fruitful and produce according to its kind, which is God. And God is love, so his seed if we're hearing it, should produce a character in us which is full of fragrance, of joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And in nature, friends, what is the purpose of fruit? What is the purpose of fruit? Carry more seed, right? That's how seed gets distributed. Fruit is what multiplies the plant. So fruit is just not about you. It's about what comes after you and through you. You can't truly be fruitful without some multiplication of that fruit, can you? Matthew and Mark both say the results vary 30, 60, and 100-fold. But what this parable is saying, if you're hearing... If you're actually hearing God, there will be 
multiplying results. And if there's not, you're not hearing. So nothing's multiplying. There's a rather shocking exchange with Jesus and a fig tree in Mark's gospel that's really rather chilling. And it, it should get a, our attention. We should hear this. It says this, They came from Bethany, and he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. And you might ask, Why would Jesus curse a poor little old fig tree? Because it was pretending to be fruitful. The, the text says the fig tree had leaves. Now in nature, fig trees and leaves always come together. The tree was advertising figs when it really didn't have any. It was being a hypocrite. Jesus was hungry and he had to walk a great distance to be to this dishonest tree that was praising God with his little leaves and branches, but there were no figs. He was not doing his job of fruit bearing. And the disciples were freaked out a few days later. When they came by and saw the tree had withered up by its roots. See, the tree represented the people of Israel. That had heard God's word, but they did not obey God's word. And so their lives did not produce fruit. I think that story says that Jesus takes fruit-bearing seriously. So do you have fruit? Sounds like we need to listen to God's word, realizing it's an awesome responsibility. You know, culturally, often the sower, the messenger, the preacher, gets blamed. And I'm not saying it's not a great responsibility to preach God's word. To scatter the seed of God's word. I, I said I have at least 20 hours invested in it. Actually, I probably have over 100 hours invested in this text. I've preached it for three weeks in a row. But by the way, it, it, it was not the sower of the fig tree that got withered. It was a pretending uninvested, apathetic tree. Jesus says, he who has ears, let them hear. Good soil is critical to fruitfulness. And if you're not being fruitful, it's probably not the preacher's fault. Honestly, we all blame the sower. It was too long. It was too dry, too fiery, too light. You know, I even blame myself. I'm neurotic about that. I beat myself up really good before and after sowing all the time. Trying to get it right. 
But Jesus says, kingdom fruit comes from good soil, not good preaching. Today, let's listen. Let's look closely at God's word and and hear the secrets of how we can be better at hearing it. And Jesus' explanation of how to be good soil in Luke 8.15. He says this, As for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, bearing fruit with patience. Again, fruitfulness is about hearing. And right now, you're all hearing my voice, but Luke adds something very important to make hearing fruitful. He adds, hold it fast. Hold it fast. In the Greek, that means keep it from going away. The truth is we are all really bad at retaining information. There are studies that show that people only hold about 5 to 10% of what they hear through spoken communication. Even when they're listening intently, they lose about 40% of what they hear within two minutes. That's really depressing for a preacher. They lose 60% after half a day and 90% after a week. So if you're just hearing my voice, it's probably not going to be enough for you to bear fruit. Just hearing God's word on Sunday morning is not enough. We must read God's word for ourselves. We must hide it in our hearts. We must hold it captive in our thoughts. We must actively listen to the truths. We must take notes on what we hear to help us retain the information. Maybe re-listen to the sermon again to understand things on, uh, on the broadcast or on the podcast. We may have to go over our notes and, 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 and pick out specific applications so that we can obey them. Uh, So we're not only hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. If we don't put the truths that we hear into action or practice and obey them, we won't remember the truths that we hear. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not only hearers, only deceiving yourselves. See, once you obey a truth, you own it and you hold it fast. Then the word of God is ready to bear fruit in your life and has the potential to multiply. Luke adds something else necessary to truly hear God's word and be good soil and bear fruit. You must be honest. Honesty is primarily in how you speak to yourself, not others. The word of God is to be a mirror a mirror that you hold up to yourself. It's to show us our sin in our actions and in our attitudes so that we can repent, so that we can turn uh, to God. See, real fruit comes when we recognize the sin, we recognize the hard places in our attitudes, the rocks or the shallow places in our selfishness or the thorns or the distractions, our idols in our lives that are replacing God, those functional saviors in our lives that that we replace God with. And, And this requires us to get honest. If we're not honest, we won't see any fruit from his word. First John says, If we say we have no sin, we we deceive ourselves and the truth 
is not in us. Here's the truth. The Bible says the soil of all of our hearts are naturally hard, naturally rocky, and naturally thorny. Without honesty, there will be no kingdom fruit in our lives. Something will grow. Your, your, your soil of your heart is rich for something to grow. The fruit of weeds, the seeds of weeds are there. And they will naturally multiply, creating a hostile environment for any real fruit to grow. Friends, honesty is weed killer. Honesty is weed killer. In self-deception, weeds flourish and choke the light life out of any good seed that is in us. If you're not seeing fruit from God's word in your life, you need to ask yourself, am I honest about my own sin? When was the last time you confessed to yourself, to God, or to another person that you were wrong in your thoughts, in your attitudes, or in your actions? If you heard my message last week on this passage, I said what limits growth in all the soils is moisture. That's really the problem. Water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's role is to convince us of the truth of our sin. That's one of its roles. And the Spirit of truth is incompatible with the Spirit of falsehood. And if in your pride you will not admit your sin when confronted with God's word, then your soil will be unfruitful. Confession is getting honest And it's a way to clean up the soil, to get rid of the rocks. Water is a powerful thing so that you can be fruitful again. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, this takes the toxicity out of our soil Just the honesty of confessing our sins is not enough. Our sin is actually rebellion against God that makes the soil of our hearts rocky, hard, and thorny, which limits the ability to grow anything fruitful. James says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away. At once he forgets what he is like. If we, if, if we don't take action when we confess and, and turn to Jesus in repentance and, and trust him in putting our sin to death and, and, and removing it, we run the risk of another kind of dishonesty. Thinking our sin is no big deal. See, Jesus had to die to remove that dirt from your face. It is a big deal. We must continue in our honesty, seeking him and surrendering to him to help us with the power to change and clean up that will produce good soil in us for the seed to bring fruit in our lives through change. First James 125 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed 
by his doing. Fruitful disciples are the ones that continually humbly repent, constantly cultivating their hearts for growth, which also gives an example to others, which multiplies fruit. Jesus said, he who has an ear, let them hear. You know, Luke, Matthew, and Mark held fast to every word Jesus said. And Jesus sowed into their hearts how to have good soil. And, and, you know, they all heard a little bit different thing. Maybe they, they grasped one word. And, and Matthew heard this. He heard, for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Being fruitful about, is about hearing with understanding. The word understanding in the Greek has the idea of two combatants wrestling it out. Okay? They're in a wrestling match. uh, Understanding is not merely knowledge or information, which is external to us. Instead, wrestling with truth is contemplating them. It's, It's testing them until the truth has won in us without any doubts. Psalm 119.34 says, Give me understanding that I might keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. See, the soil of our hearts become hard if we just listen and obey rules without understanding them. This is the problem of, of just being religious. When, when we wrestle and, and seek to understand God, we will, he will faintly provide us with understanding. And this interaction with him builds our relationship with him and causes us to love him even more. And and he gives us the desire, the willing desire to want to obey. Understanding requires a hunger to hear him and wrestle with his word. Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be satisfied. Time spent wrestling will be fruitful and you will find joy and you will find satisfaction in doing so. God's word is a seed. Seeds are dense with nutrition, but seeds need to be cracked open through study to get the rich, dense, nutritious food within them. They're dense. It, it, It comes through ruminating on them. Focus thinking constantly on them. Seeds can be difficult to digest. Think of a cow who, who chooses cud and it has multiple stomachs to, to squeeze every ounce of nutrition out of the grain or the grass. That's what we're supposed to do. And that's what we're, what we're supposed to approach God's word by ruminating or meditating on it to get every bit of fruitful nutrition out of it. That's also critical that we listen through our community of believers to maximize our hearing of him. God said it's not good for us to be alone. Have you ever digested that seed? He also is telling us to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So fruitfulness must come in listening to him through each other's voices. His word also says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's Hebrews 10, 25. 
Fruit tends to grow in clusters, doesn't it? And if you're not in fellowship with other believers, I guarantee, I would stake my life on the fact that you're not hearing them correctly. Our own emotions and our intellect will deceive us if we're not challenged to wrestle with ideas and insights that others give us as we reflect on the word together, as the Holy Spirit living in them gives insight. Isolated, we become more dishonest and start to hear what we want to hear and not gain true understanding. Understanding also comes by recognizing that the word of God is alive like a seed. A seed is a living thing. It's active. You know, a pride will crush a seed. It gives it no place to grow. We must humbly approach the seed and hold on to it and, and wrestle with it. And sometimes it'll be like grabbing a tiger by the tail and it will thrash us around and shake us up. Some people say, I feel worse when I read the word of God. And I will tell you, then you're doing it right. Keep reading it and joy will come. Sometimes the tears and the wrestling is what's meant to plow out the rocks and the, the thorny places of your heart so that fruit has room to grow in it. Now when Mark listened to Jesus explain the parable, he held fast to a different word. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. Beloved, if the word is going to be fruitful in your life, it is critically important that you accept it. You really have not heard God until you have accepted his word. The seed is just bouncing off the hard soil of your heart until you accept it. Accepting a truth is deeper than holding fast to a truth or even understanding a truth. In the Greek, the word means to acknowledge a truth as one's own, as to possess it. Let me give you an example. Let's say you were to fall off a boat, a cruise ship, and it was starting to sink. And if someone threw you a life preserver, you could hold fast into your mind with the information that lifesavers are the right piece of equipment to save people. You could hold that fast in your mind. You could understand that that lifesaver has the right amount of buoyancy to keep you afloat. You could understand that all the way to the bottom of the ocean. But until you accept it as your life preserver and put it in your arms, that life preserver will do you no good, will it? It's not fruitful to you at all. You might even be a great evangelist for a few short moments before water fills your lungs, telling other people to grab on. And they might even learn from your poor example. We have not really heard the word ourselves unless we have accepted the word ourselves. 
Acceptance is believing God at his word by faith. Beloved, we are not saved by believing in God. The devil believes in God. He knows he exists. Just like you won't be saved by believing in a life preserver. It'll only save you if you grab on. Genesis 15 is one of the best illustrations of this to me. Abraham was told directly by God in Genesis 12 that he would be giving land as far as he could see from the east to the west to the north to the south. It was all his. And he was told that his children would be as vast as the dust of the earth. And Abraham kind of wrestled with the truth of that. But he went through some troubles in his life that made his heart shallow and rocky. And God blessed him with a lot of riches that made him distracted from really hearing that word to him. Now, in Genesis 15, Abraham's an old man, and he's in a desperate state, and he's doubting God. And God had even spoken to him directly. Talk to him. He knew the information. He understood. But he had not accepted it. And God comes to him again in a vision. And he says, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. And your reward shall be very great. Oh, Abraham probably had the religious answers down. He knew what God said. He knew the tradition that came down from his great-great-grandma Eve, that the seed or the offspring of a woman would come and make things right in the world, defeating sin and death and the devil, crush the serpent's head. Abraham had all the information that God existed. God was speaking to him, in fact, telling him not to be afraid. The God of the universe was personally promising to protect him and reward him. The life preserver was in the water next to him. And Abraham does not grab it. He's not listening. He won't accept the truth of what God had to say. Instead, he complains. And he blames God. I don't have an heir. I'm going to have to have one of my servants be the heir. And he starts complaining and blaming God for his lot in life. Even though God had made him wealthy and even though God had helped him defeat four, four armies to protect his lot in life. If you don't get that, you're not reading God's word enough. <laughs> he rescued his brother Lot the day before. Anyways. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm a Bible nerd. Sorry. Um <laughs> So God is good. He's a sower, right? What does he do? He casts the seed again. Restating the promise. Look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. This time, the seed hits Abraham when he has a broken and humbled heart. And he accepts it. 
And Abraham grabs the life preserver. He owns it. He owns the promise for himself. And the text says he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. We see a man be saved by accepting by faith alone God's promise to him. Beloved, that is the word of God becoming fruitful in someone's life. That is faith. It's not trying to uphold all the rules. It's not trying to know all the information. That's religion, which has no power to save you or to bring perpetual fruit in our lives. Life is in the seed, in the promise of God, not in the rules or in the information about it. Acceptance is faith in the power of the seed. Believing God at his word. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without acceptance of God's word by faith, personally, you will have no multiplying fruit in your life. God's word says, So faith comes from hearing. And hearing the words of Christ. There's one more thing to consider in what Luke said in verses 8-15. Hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That word patience is what I believe Jesus is saying is bearing fruit is an organic process that we are not in control of at all. Mark 4, 26-29, Jesus says this, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seeds on the ground, and he sleeps night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first blade, then ear, then full of grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he picks, puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. That's our model of ministry here, the four fields from that verse. That's Jesus' model. What is relevant to understand about fruit with patience is that part he knows not how. See, fruit bearing requires good seed and good soil. You have to hear. If you humbly study biology, you will eventually get past the mechanical and the functional. No matter what your teachers at school tell you. And you'll have to say, we know not how. Life is in the seed. A fertile heart comes in a surrendered one to God. Our natural soil is hard, rocky, and thorny for us to hear, for our soil to hear something has to die. Our pride has to die. Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth 
and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We have to die with him. See, Jesus held fast to God's word. He was good soil with an honest and humble and good heart. In his 33 years on earth, no one could accuse of letting go of God's word. The Pharisees tried to accuse him of blasphemy, claiming him claiming to be God, but he held fast to his father's word that he was his son in whom he was well pleased. He owned it. He accepted it. He wrestled with his father's will for his life, trying to understand it like we do, so much that he sweat blood the night before the soldiers came to execute him. He was patient and kind, even with his own creation, the people who spit on him and beat him and nailed him to a wooden cross. You know, sometimes people try to judge the fruitfulness of a, a ministry by the numbers of people, the crowd. But Jesus' ministry was not particularly fruitful when thousands came to be sit around him and have their bellies full of bread and sushi. The most fruitful time in his ministry was actually on the cross when he surrendered himself for us and said, Father, forgive them. See, grace and forgiveness to the undeserving comes from a good and a patient heart. Because patience comes from love. God is love and the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is described as patience. Love is patient. Jesus completely accepted his father's patient, perfect will of love to save us. Something he planned with his father before the foundations of the earth. Something he promised to Eve. Something promised to Abraham. Something promised to the prophets. He surrendered his life, and he died saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit.